Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, licensed professional counselor. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with one of Canada's highest rated clinical psychologists, Dr. Monica Vermani. Dr. Vermani is a public speaker, teacher, and author in the field of mental health and wellness. In her private practice, Dr. Vermani provides a multifaceted approach in treating adolescents and adults suffering from trauma, abuse, mood, anxiety, substance addictions, and other related conditions and disorders, as well as families and couples therapy. Dr. Vermani employs a range of techniques, all the way from cognitive behavioral therapy to EMDR, and she has even started some corporate wellness programs as well. We're going to be discussing her new book, A Deeper Wellness. I believe you are going to enjoy her practical and positive approach to addressing our mental health in an uncomplicated way. She has a very unique voice, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. Welcoming to the Intentional Clinician Podcast is Dr. Monica Vermani. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Paul, for having me. My pleasure. So I have just been getting into your book, A Deeper Wellness, Conquering Stress, Mood, Anxieties, and Traumas. And I have to say, I found it extremely accessible and refreshing because it was obviously written with the consumer in mind, which means that even if you don't have a background in mental health or anything with psychology at all, you can really read this and get a good understanding of what's going on with yourself, your stress, anxiety, communication. I mean, so many things you cover here, loneliness, um, panic, gratitude, self-worth, all these sort of things. And then you have these journal prompts and then you can say, hey, let's go deeper. So that's kind of like optional for people that are like, wait, okay, I just wanted to kind of fix my situation here, uh, Dr. Vermani. I'm not sure if I want to go deeper, but you have those prompts, which I thought was pretty cool. So um, what inspired you to write this book? My patients, I day in and day night, like I work with patients every day, hour after hour, working through, you know, healing. And, you know, all symptoms uh, and suffering is a catalyst for change. And so many times I think we we struggle with obstacles in our life, but every time we have suffering or symptoms that are really problematic, it does help us shift gears and change. And so, you know, I work so much with patients with mood, anxiety, and traumas. In my background, I worked in corrections. And so I've been fortunate enough to work with extreme populations. I can do uh, a lot of work with different populations. And in my private practice during the pandemic, things just got heavier. People got a lot more upset. People started bringing in their children because they were coping uh, poorly or family dynamics were falling apart or coupleships were falling apart. And so as there was an increased need in mental health services, I wanted to give back to people who can't afford therapy or can't get access, as well as I wanted my own patients who were like, can I have another session this week to have a resource instead of trying to get another session with me when there was no time to give them it. And so I've created uh, the book, which is um, accessible for many age brackets, many people struggling with uh, mood, anxiety, stress, and traumas. And I call it traumas because we all have different things we get stuck on in life and there are layers of traumas, some more extreme than others, but we do get affected by things that are suffering or difficult in life. Very good. Yeah, I think that's a great reason to write a book. Um, that seems to be a couple issues you brought up, one of which is 
because of some of the stress brought on by the post quote unquote post pandemic where everything's trying to speed up again. Um, there's a lot of chaos, uh, at least in the United States. I don't know about Canada as much, um, where you're at, but it seems to be a lot of chaos in the marketplace, in the workplace, family life. People are trying to get their kids back in school. What's the right school? Is it a safe school for my kid? Should I put them in this daycare? All these different things. And so then you're talking about time and that's a big thing we have. I hear from our clients and I supervise a lot of clinicians as well as they're saying, we know we need to work on our mental health and we hardly have time. I hardly have time to see you, let alone you want me to go meditate or go to yoga or like take a break with my kids. Like how am I supposed to do that? So then that's possibly feeding possibly some of these unhealthy patterns that may be unconscious. And I, I something we were talking about before the show was how sometimes people get um, stuck in unhealthy patterns. And especially during the pandemic, I don't know how many people told me, oh, I gained 20 pounds. I mean, I know I gained weight at the beginning for sure. Um, just you know, eating because I had nothing to do or something. I was just eating too much or whatever. But um, can you talk a little bit about unhealthy patterns that may be I don't know, we might be keeping them since the pandemic and we're trying to work on our mental health, but they're kind of getting in the way. We don't, we don't notice it. Yeah. During the pandemic, uh, like I've been fortunate to work with people from different walks of life. Some people got healthier. Uh, some people were adjusting well in the beginning and then got worse as time went on. Some people are getting worse entering the world now. And some of their social anxiety is creeping up where they're worried about what people's judgment is or not feeling capable or not feeling smart enough. I'm seeing more and more people, some people who are single and stuck in an apartment working and doing school and everything from home. And there were others who had family units and felt fortunate to have times with their kids and their pets. It it was interesting for me to see every walk of life, but everybody was affected by the pandemic in some way or another. Some healthy habits came in and a lot of unhealthy ones did. I always tell people, a lot of first responders I see, um, that were overburdened by the system in the beginning and overworked, I kept reminding them, don't give from your well, give from your overflow. If you don't take care of you, you really can't take care of the people that you take a vow to take care of. I've had many physicians that were burning out, many nurses that were feeling overworked and overburdened. Unhealthy habits came in during the pandemic. I had even healthy couples saying, at the end of the day, I find myself reaching out for a cocktail. And I never used to do that when I was going to work in the office. And it was a different time with, you know, um, more use with drugs and alcohol, avoidance, procrastination. There was much more use of TV and technology, video games. A lot of people are finding themselves overstimulated during the pandemic and trying to find something to do. But we stopped being human beings and we became human doers. And so during this pandemic, many, many people got into toxic habits. And I say toxic habits because they hold you back from being healthier. They hold you back from living life fulfilling. And they hold you back from being the person that you wish you could be, whether that's healthier in your mind and body, or it's better in your relationships, or it's more social, or it's more productive, or it's moving up the corporate ladder, or just plain and simple being able to sit on a couch and rest without your mind racing. Very good uh, analysis there. So um, you've been kind of noticing this trend or multiple trends, I guess are all happening at once. It just depends on the person and their situation. So, um, I guess what are, I see here that you, in your private practice, you 
practice cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness meditations, mindfulness-based stress reduction. Of course, my favorite mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, breath, body, mind. I haven't heard of that one. And of course, EMDR, which is a frequent topic on this show, mm-hmm. as I am an EMDR International uh, Association consultant. But yeah, can you tell me some of the ways, I see all these clinical things I'm sure you use in your uh, practice, but what are some of the, your favorite tips for people outside of therapy to help um, get out of unhealthy patterns or toxic patterns? So I think it's always important for us to recognize it's always your thoughts that lead to your moods and your behaviors. And so your thoughts are conscious as well as unconscious. And as we're talking about, you know, unhealthy habits, some of these unhealthy habits are actually learned through patterns from our upbringing, from our family units where our parents have modeled unhealthy habits and we've just acquired them and learned them through modeled behavior. And we repeat them too, whether it's comfort food, it's alcohol, it's overworking, it's underworking, it's, you know, being hard on yourself. And so we all have a tendency right now to be struggling with things that we're not too fond of. And when it comes down to tips, you know, as I mentioned, thoughts lead to moods and behaviors. It is always important to recognize where does my mind go when I'm in silence? When we're meditating or we're just in silence and dead air time, where does your head go? Many times it goes to unfinished business or it goes to scrutiny, criticism, judgment, being hard on yourself for procrastinating, but we're not taking actionable steps because many times our thoughts are making us paralyzed, stuck in patterns, stuck in patterns of catastrophizing or being hard on ourselves or feeling stuck or just feeling unfulfilled with life and unworthy of love or undeserving of success. And so cognitive behavioral therapy is very useful because it does help you shape your thoughts to challenge them. Everything in life is possible. I can get hit by lightning right now. You want to look at the probability of bad things happening. And many times we have a tendency to overestimate the probability of bad things happening. And it is good for you to sometimes do a mental checklist. Okay, I could get hit by lightning right now, but you know what's the probability of that? It's not raining. I'm in a safe place. I'm indoors. And you bring yourself down from the place of catastrophizing or thinking about worst case scenarios. Thoughts are very powerful. It is important for us to start looking at where does my mind go? But then secondly, also recognizing how much is my mind driving my behaviors? Is my worries getting me to overwork or overexercise or constantly looking for stimulation to distract my thoughts because I don't like what's going on in my head? I always feel like spirituality is you connecting to yourself well, your spirit, meaning enjoying the content in your head that goes swimming around when you're in silence, as well as enjoying your own company. Many people today struggle with enjoying themselves and their company. Meditation practices, we all meditate. We just don't realize it. Meditation is where you lose the concept of time and space. And so when you're hanging out with a buddy or a friend and four hours go by and you're like, how did four hours go by? That moment where you were connecting to one thing with complete presence is meditation. And then you do lose the concept of time and space, whether that's an exercise, a hobby, an interest, spending time with your family members or friends, hobbies in in nature, kayaking, hiking, et cetera. It is important for us to recognize when you do one thing with complete presence, you're meditating. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have great teachers, you know, mindfulness meditation, uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Breath, body, mind is actually a practice from two of my dear friends in New York City, Dr. Richard Brown and Dr. Gerberg. They're two psychiatrists that have pretty much 
revamped their whole psychiatry practice to teach breath work. And we've done lots of research studies on breathing practices that specifically work with extreme versions of anxiety. And so their website is uh, breathbodymind.com. And they do these wonderful practices to help people understand that when you're in extreme versions of trauma, like PTSD, there are breathing practices that can help ground you settle you down. And there's also movement you can do to help facilitate your body to get out of a place of fight, flight, freeze to being in a place of ease and coping. Many times our biggest problem with anxiety and depression and stress is that we feel incapable to cope. It is your self-doubt, which is a thought again, that really makes things worse in our lives. And so it's important for us to start recognizing, do I give myself credit? To date, life only gives you what you you can handle. You've handled everything that's shown up. Give yourself some credit that even if you didn't handle it with eloquence and dignity, you've handled it. You're still here. You're standing. You're moving forward. And we do the best we can with what we know. Are there resources I can bring in or practices I can bring in that enhance my coping and my skill set for me to feel more capable? Very good. Very good. Yes. So it sounds like a lot of you know, what you're talking about is having people take a self-assessment. And I do think that during COVID with a lot of people in isolation, the self-assessments were possibly not the best. And we do have this negative bias in us, of course, to keep us safe. So we want to, we think of negative things that could happen. So we prepare and try not to be hurt or we, you know, we over, like you said, we catastrophize. So it's our emotional mind. And you're saying, Hey, pause here a second. Let's let's look at what's real. Let's look at what's happening statistically and logically. Bring those two things together. That will help your emotional mind perhaps stop producing as many of these thoughts or be able to evaluate these thoughts better. And I do think that is a lost art in the in the past. I don't know twenty something years since the internet and the phones became more prevalent. Is that people when they have time to themselves? instead of self-assessing, they're wondering what's going on in the news, in the world, what's going on in their friends' social media feeds, what's going on in their bank account, like, you know, too many times per day. I mean, if you've looked at your, I don't know if you have a smartphone, but you can, on the iPhone, it has a tracker where it'll show you how much time you've spent, how much time your screen's been on, and how many apps and what you've been using. And I found that to be a very good tool for me to look at, but also like, oh my goodness, okay, where thinking back to my college years and in high school, all this downtime I had where I was just, you know, creating things, right? It it seems like at this day and age, we almost have to be more intentional, not only about self-assessment that you're talking about, but about spending time where we're intentionally doing something that helps us, whether it's creating, talking to a friend, getting into a flow state, like you said, with um, meditation is anything that gets you into the flow state. Um, I love this breath, body, mind program. I definitely think people should check that out because it's doing something physical because some people, uh, a lot of people, they're like, well, I don't like all these mental coping skill checklists. I want to do something, right? They're more somatically, physically inclined. So the uh, kinesthetic uh, remedy sounds and they bring in they bring in qigong and open focus breathing and coherence breathing so they bring in some beautiful techniques and you know being a certified teacher with them i've been fortunate enough to work in some of the the most crises environments uh, facilitating healing and it really works it's about us taking time out and as you mentioned you know i'm glad you're speaking about it we really are running a rat race out there everybody is running around 
constantly busy, overstretched, not knowing how to prioritize things. And then we're modeling that to our children so that our children grow up and do the same thing and show up in my office with mood and anxiety. Anxiety many times is being overstretched, is being in a place of self-doubt because you don't have time to really reflect and pause to see, you know, a moment of gratitude and praise that, wow, look at what I do. And I'm, I'm proud of myself. People don't take moments to pause and reflect and just pat themselves on their back that they got through a hectic week or a hectic day. And we're quite hard on ourselves to keep doing more and more and more. And, you know, one of the solutions is what you were just saying, take a pause and reflect to bring in some mindfulness practices. As children, we were doing this. We were right. And then as we grow, we become well-adjusted to a sick society, which is that rat race. And, you know, it's unhealthy and we have to learn how to reprogram ourselves from being children who just lived in the moment and were play and, and thought and did things in that moment to now being adults who have to take breaks to bring in eating something mindfully or take a break to get off your technology or take a break to stretch from your desk that you've been sitting at for eight hours or take a break to just call a loved one and connect with people. At the end of the day, at your grave, you're not going to be complaining you didn't spend more hours at work. You're going to be complaining about the things you sacrifice. And the people you sacrifice are the ones who are going to be at your funeral one day. And you have to wonder, like, how do I want to be remembered at the end of the day? As someone who is constantly running around, irate, irritable, tired? Or do I want to be remembered as somebody who is inspiring, loving, caring, kind, honest, and had a healthy balance of work and personal life. Very good points. I think that, um, yeah, right there, you've hit on some major things. What, first of all, the existential point, which I think is important. Humans, humans need meaning. And why are we doing all this stuff that we're doing? What is the point? How do we, you know, let's say we don't have control over a lot in our life. How do we want to be remembered? Why aren't we living that way now? Right. If we know what makes us feel good and what makes others feel good, what is holding us back from living how we want to live, first of all? Then going further with that, um, you've now mentioned like every society that's ever existed, you people had to adapt to its pros and cons. And currently, the cons of the modern world are everything's available all the time, thanks to the internet. Um, if you live in a big city, everything's available all the time and the internet. Uh, <laughs> And we have entertainment constantly, TV, all, all these things that are constantly pulling at our attention, advertisements, um, different things telling us this will help help us feel better, like that, you know, is true, but not true, like advertising, like chocolate will make you feel better. Yes, it will for like five minutes and then you'll feel worse, right? If you eat sugar, sugared chocolate or whatever. So it's like our, our environment's shaping us at a hyper speed, I think, um, not, I, I don't know how to compare it to past civilizations because I wasn't there, but we're, I oh, think people don't realize. Yeah. Time, we weren't texting each other once upon a right. time. Like I grew up in a time where, yeah, there was no FaceTime. Like I'm grateful during the pandemic, I couldn't see family members and at least I could FaceTime them. But once upon a time, we didn't have that stuff. You had to memorize a phone number <laughs> and, you know, we're in a different time. I didn't, you know, I grew up where I didn't have a laptop until I was finishing my master's. And today kids at age 10 have one and they're constantly on their iPads. 
Existential questions are a big one during the pandemic. A lot of people have felt a loss of meaning because they didn't have as many distractions. You weren't out there socializing, going to the next restaurant, keeping yourself busy every weekend with plans. And Monday to Friday, you're on the rat race. So a lot of people definitely were like, what brings me joy? What makes me happy? Am I always just that distracted that I realized I wasn't happy to begin with? And many people you know, during the pandemic have changed lifestyles, moved away, downsized homes or upgraded homes, uh, as well as changed careers and jobs to be more fulfilling because they realize that I'm not living a life that I'm feeling connected to. Many of us have a tendency to not live our truth, but live expected roles that we think we need to live. So there's always a battle between all of us, between our true self and our expected self. And that battlefield within you is what we, I think, face every day. You know, what do I really want and what do people want from me? Whether it's my parents, my boss, my coworkers, my friends, my family members, society. And we're always trying to teeter back and forth on that battle of trying to get our true self out there, but in fears of disappointing people that expect things from us. Yes, you're bringing up a lot of um, deep subjects because... I think most people listening to this can identify with what you're saying. It's a matter of, okay, well, I'm now conscious of this for a few seconds, Dr. Vermani, but then, oh, wait, I've got stuff to do. So I'm going to become unconscious of this. So that's the automatic kind of habits we got into, we were talking about, and then the automatic roles that we kind of fall into based on our personality, where we grew up, um, you know, what our family structure, work structure are, we do fall into these dynamics um, as we call it in the field, which are basically these, I don't know what you define dynamics are, and I'm not sure I have a textbook in front of me, but essentially they're sort of like kind of predictable patterns that start to occur um, inside people, but also inside workplaces and families. And so I think what you're advocating for a lot with this book, what I'm seeing, and I'm sure many things besides this, but um, is sort of really allowing yourself to figure out what you like, what you don't like, um, who fills your cup and who drains you, um, what you need to do versus what you think you need to do. Mm -hmm. And really sort of trying to cut away some of the, I don't know, the over, over programming. I don't know what you want to call it, but sort of habits habits of not setting boundaries, not saying no people pleasing, putting others ahead of yourself, you know, exhausting yourself by taking on more, Like we got to stop doing the things that don't align with health. This book also helps people understand we're all perfect and a work in progress. Humble yourself. We're all working on ourselves. There is nobody out there who's got it right. We're all fine tuning to be higher, better versions of yourself. And it's important for each of us to know the first step to treatment is awareness. Be aware of your symptoms. We live with them every day. We pop in an Advil. We kind of push through. We have another cup of coffee or have some sugar to get through, you know, a fatigue. These are not healthy habits. These are things that you're doing to kind of take the edge off your symptoms. Recognize when your symptoms become loud enough, they start holding you back in life, meaning you might have more irritability with your kids or have more conflict with your partner. You might find yourself disconnected at work and spending more hours on something that should have taken you an hour because you can't focus. We have to start recognizing the symptoms that we somehow self-medicate. Sometimes we're even doing that with alcohol. 
and drugs to go to sleep at night. If you can't sleep without a substance, there's something wrong. We got to look at that. It's not about finding a quick fix. It's about solving the root of the problem. And many of us are not catching on to uh, taking our symptoms seriously. We take ourselves for granted and our body for granted. And then when the symptoms are enormously loud, you show up in a therapist's office or a family doctor's office or go to emerge, and then you're dealing with a crisis. And so let's prevent crises. The book is about a deeper wellness as in, you know, let's go deeper into our lives and really talk about wellness. Let's really talk about mentally, you know, what's going to make us mentally fit. We spend so much time on physical fitness. It's time to get our mental fitness up. And it's time for us to recognize we need to do it right for ourselves so we can get it right for people that we're role modeling. When you're in pain and symptoms, you spill over onto others around you and you spill over onto the ones that you love the most, your kids, your family members that you take for granted that are there for you. But you also spill over onto your workplaces and you spill over onto friends. You're just not at your best. But when you're in health and you work on yourself, you also then have a ripple effect of passing that forward for people to understand health. So as I work on me, you know, my family members are healthier. My friends are healthier and motivated. My workplace is healthier. My patients benefit. And then community and society and the world even benefits. It starts from you. And each and every one of us need to pause and reflect and get our life together and start prioritizing mental fitness. Like I said, it's your thoughts, conscious or unconscious, that lead to your physical symptoms and your moods that lead to maladaptive or adaptive behaviors. And so it's a thought that counts. We got to start looking at what's going on in my head that makes me push aside my rest, get less sleep, prioritize technology, compare my life to others, feel less than, not feel worthy, not feel capable, not good enough, and get angry and irritable at other people for not doing things my way. Let's start talking about ego. Let's start talking about things that our mind says are right, but really there's no proof to you know back it up. Yes, I agree. I, I love that. I think uh, you're really trying to tap into what your average person is is dealing with un- underneath the surface. Because uh, in our cultures, oftentimes mental health is the last thing people talk about. And people say, hey, how are you doing? And everyone says, oh, good or fine. Or I hear this like rehearsed thing. People say, live in the dream. And I'm like, what is what does that mean? Is that like a song lyric? Um, how you make it. Most people are just pushing right. through. And you know, stats show one in three Canadians in their lifetime will have a mental illness. Really? You know, and in a fiscal year, one in five people will be affected by mental illness in their workplaces. It is important. We all know four people, at least one of those people are going to have something like it is important for us to recognize how common this is grieving. We grieve not the loss of just people sometimes in our lives. We grieve relationships. We grieve loss of functioning, age. We grieve children leaving the home for empty nest syndrome. We grieve, you know, losses of connection from the pandemic. There were so many people I knew who couldn't see their family members or couldn't go back home to visit their family members that were elderly and take care of them. There was a lot of sadness during the pandemic. There are people who were overworked and there were people who were under, underemployed and home all day, not knowing how to kill time. Yes, indeed. Um, I love that you're you're nailing all these subjects. I can definitely see that you've been a clinician for 25 years and you really are getting to the core of this. And this is very universally applicable. 
uh, to people. And, you know, just like Canada, the U.S. is facing its own mental health crisis. And I, I think it's important uh, to educate people about, you know, everything is on a spectrum. You know, one day you may be feeling like you're in a good mood. It's okay to have days where you're depressed, right? It's 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 on a spectrum. We don't want to be labeling and uh, making you feel like you have some sort of stigma because you've you've labeled yourself anxious or depressed at this time. Obviously, it can become clinical if it impacts your social occupational functioning and and different things like that, which is in which is for the doctors and therapists to determine, and for you to kind of watch out for. Um, but it's important to to talk about this in and make it be a bigger part of society so that we can actually, you know, take steps so that people aren't shamed to not talking about it or yeah. feeling that they have to keep their mouth shut. And I think stigma is high. Oh yeah. Stigma is still a thing um, because, you know, if somebody breaks their leg, everyone's like, oh yeah, they got to miss work. Right. But if, if somebody's like, oh, you know, they're having panic attacks um, about coming into the office. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, I can't, they're so dramatic. You know, you, you get, not that this always happens. Right. But in certain words, I've heard this from patients, Yeah. Um, you know, oh, they're so dramatic. Why can't they just do it? You know? And it's like, yeah, obviously, you know, it's easy to judge when you're not there. What's that? Jealousy and envy, like the person's on vacation versus taking care of themselves. And, yes. you know, I've seen people go on sick leave and they feel like their coworkers look at them like, it must be nice. And we forget that this person's going through a lot of symptoms. That's why they're on sick leave. And they're just trying to get their life and their act together so they can come back and be functional. They don't see somebody not sleeping at night. They don't see somebody ruminating all day. They don't see the worry on the inside. It is very sad that most of us out there, you know, fake it till we make it type of thing. And there's smoke and mirrors and we buy it. We don't recognize what you see on the outside is not what people go through on the inside. Social anxiety is a perfect example. I have people with social anxiety that are so fearful of criticism, scrutiny, judgment, embarrassing themselves that on the inside, there's a loudspeaker going on, but on the outside, there's poker face. Mm. And you just take it as they're snobby. They're not interested. They think they're better than you. Meanwhile, on the inside, they feel less than you, not good enough. And they're worried about you asking them something that they're going to answer wrong. And it's incredible to see when you work with people with generalized anxiety, which is just chronic excessive worry about real life concerns, you pick up anxiety, you see it, mm. you, you know, people, and we call them high energy and they're not, they're people who worry a lot. Sometimes uh, we need to be more compassionate to one another. And we need to recognize it's not about judgment, but life is a series of experiences. We have a tendency to judge our experiences. And yes, the stigma is also because we're lacking education. You know, we're, we're still dealing with old school, you know, ideas of you, you're, you're weak if you have mental illness. We're still dealing with stigma related to you can't take a day off work because you're, you're feeling sad or tired uh, or anxious. You should be pushing through and coming here because you don't have a physical ailment off. And workplaces need to change. It's one reason why I started doing more corporate wellness too. A lot of my executives that I work with were like, you need to come into my workplace and start talking to our employees. As I get healthier, I feel bad for my team members who are not. And some of the people who handled the pandemic really well were people whose you know, executives were my patients and they were 
you know, saying you need to take care of yourself right now. And the start of the meeting, let's talk about mental health for a minute. Like, how are you guys doing? How are you coping? What's going on? And as they put their problems and real life things on the table, like being irritated by their kids being around all day or their wife picking on things or not having enough time or overworking at night, thinking that maybe they're not doing enough or not being able to ask for help, things like this. As they put those things on the table as an executive who's working with me, their teammates started coming on board and saying, I go through that too. I do wonder if I'm doing enough and I end up working an extra two hours. Or, you know, I do find it's nice that I can put a crock pot of food on and I, I feel a little bit more rested. So I feel like my focus is better. People are starting to communicate, but someone's got to take initiative. And, you know, we, we as a society have to have a call of action to get healthier with mental fitness. We got to get mentally fit now. Let's stop with, I got to rush to the gym right after the pandemic lifted the guidelines. Let's also look at what's happening with your brain. How are you treating one another? How are you treating yourself? I haven't seen people harder on themselves than ever. This pandemic, people not feeling good enough, not lovable, you know, online dating, people going on the apps, but feeling frustrated as in like, I don't know what I offer someone. My companionship is not about offering them a, a slew of things. It's company. It's, it's sharing time with each other. But work on you so that you're a healthier version of you so that, you know, somebody wants to be a part of your energy and wants to be a part of your life. But today's world is very interesting. We're struggling with a lot of different concepts. And you're right. The stigma is only going to go as each and every one of us embraces an acceptance that I'm human. I'm perfect and a work in progress. And it's time for me to pull it together to realize my symptoms can tip over to a place where they're holding me back and to hold space for people around us that are going through things um, instead of punishing them for it. Yes, I agree. And I think things are complicated because, because of technology's advances. And, and I mean, even since the 70s, um, working shifts, <clears throat> you know, were never idealized, but let's just say the recent history of the U.S. and Canada, I would say working shifts are more predictable um, for most people. And then, you know, even restaurant shifts and diners and whatnot, things were a bit more slow paced, even in the 80s and 70s uh, and 90s. Um, and technology of all sorts has sped our life up, not just computers, but um, different technologies of shipping things and the world getting a little bit faster in some ways. Um, and so therefore, I think people are dealing with this on an environmental level, um, the balance between the need to produce and the need to have a job and the need to perform highly and the need to work hours with like what we've been talking about this whole podcast, which is the need for rest, the need for reflection, the need for connection, the need for belonging, the need to take time away. And it, I almost feel like it's wrestling because there's this anxiety. I, I see this anxiety kind of permeating from the economy of like, do I, I need more? Even like people who are making over a hundred thousand dollars in the U S I, I I'm afraid that at any moment my stocks are going to go down and I could, I need more money and I need to do this. And what about this? And it's like, it, it, we're losing that focus. And then that goes all the way down to what we call the gig workers in the U S it's becoming very popular, which is these you know, things like Uber and Lyft and, um, you know, uh, grocery store delivery apps and whatnot, where people can do work on their schedule, which is actually a positive, right? So you can work your schedule around it, but at the same level, they're paid so little 
that then they end up having to work ridiculous number of hours unless they have some sort of situation. And I mean by situation, I mean housing situation and food situation where they don't have to over labor. So on one hand, technology making things easier, we can now shape maybe work from home. I'm doing this podcast from home today for various reasons. Um, You know, that's a positive convenience, but it's how you use it. But then on the other side, technology speeding our lives up and this predictability of kind of like the shifts and the, and the culture, um, you know, I don't know how to explain this, but it just like people have to really regulate their time, regulate how much is too much money, how much is not enough money. I have to make all these micro decisions where, which I'm not saying they were easier before, but I think things weren't as complicated. And even 30 years ago, I love how you're talking about the Uber stuff. Like I've had people working around the clock that can't cook a meal because they just don't have the time or the energy. And so they'll order Uber. And I've done so many of my patients' budgets because we're trying to figure out where their money goes. And they spend so much on Uber Eats or on an Uber because they can't get to the bus on time or they're worried about the pandemic and they don't want to be on the bus with a bunch of people. And I was looking at the math. We're running on that hamster on the wheel, working our way through things, not paying attention to where our money goes. And I've had people's visa statements where I look at renewals that are happening and they don't even know about it, or they're paying for Uber and they don't realize how expensive it is when the restaurant's really across the street, they could have picked up the food and saved $6 off it. We talk about these things, but what am I doing? I'm making them pause and reflect. And they're like, oh my God, I don't believe I never noticed this. And, you know, cooking a meal, like making time for things where you nourish your body with food that you know, instead of the food that might make you gain that 20 pounds that you're going to be then hard on yourself about gaining weight. And, you know, everything you were saying about a couple of minutes ago is really about fear. We are such a fear-driven based society. What is fear about? Anxiety. Anxiety about, I don't know if I can handle it. And so I'm, let me just prepare more. Let me just work more. Let me just make more. Let me do more so I can be prepared because I'm not sure if I can handle the fear of uncertainty. It is fascinating to me that each and every one of us are born not knowing when and how we're going to die. And that means you're, you're meant to be comfortable with uncertainty, but somehow we spend our whole life trying to control everything in our lives so that we can prevent being afraid of uncertainty. And it's very interesting that everybody is so busy trying to control aspects of their life, but they don't recognize sometimes by controlling one area, you're also scapegoating other areas. And by working too much, what's the impact on your organs? By not sleeping enough or drinking alcohol, you know, it's a depressant after all. It worsens your depression. It doesn't make it better. It is important for each and every one of us to start exploring Am I doing healthy habits to help me or am I keeping myself stuck in patterns that just keep me stuck or make my situation or my health worse? And technologies has been helpful. I even used the grocery apps to get my groceries home during the pandemic and it was a blessing. And I was like, oh my God, why didn't they think of this before? But in the same breath, you know, it made me sit on my couch a little bit more or sit longer at my work desk and just get my groceries delivered. We, we lost more movement. <laughs> you're, uh, you're totally calling it out. I love it. Um, it's kind of why I named this show The Intentional Clinician was because, I don't know, when I started this show, like 2017 or something, I had just been going through this phase in my life where I was 
I had all these creative projects and plus my job as a therapist and friends I wanted to see and travel I wanted to do. And I, I kind of ran across the word intentional. I thought the only way for me to be able to do some of the things I want, and I can't do them all, <laughs> obviously, is to be very intentional about my time. And I know this sounds possibly weird because it does go into the controlling thing, right? Because I would plan, and, and of course, it never goes as planned because I got sick recently and that threw off all my plans. But never th- things don't go as planned, but I would literally plan out like, okay, I really need to do all my clinical note homework on this kind of block of time, right? Because if I do that, almost like high school, you know, like I'm planning to do this assignment so I can go to the dance on Friday. I'm like, okay, if I do this homework, then, then I can go see my friends on Saturday night. I can sleep in on Sunday or whatever. I'd like think these things out versus back when I was in college, I didn't really think things out. I would just like do whatever. And then I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like some papers would be done way ahead of time. Some papers would be done the night before. So I, I thought I need to be intentional. And it's really hard to be intentional when you're, when you're so anxious and, strung out that you're just like, oh my gosh, what do I need? I, I got to save 10 minutes. Okay. $16 on Uber Eats for a $5 hamburger. Like I didn't plan ahead and not that you can plan for everything. So that goes back into us I trying to be the word. Intent- What's that? I love the word intentional because yeah. when people are trying to get healthier, as we were talking about being stuck in toxic patterns, it is your intention to heal that helps. It is your intention to say enough, I'm going to get better that then you make the time for it, whether it's time for therapy, it's time for exercise, it's time for a little more sleep and going to bed or having accountability buddies to cook with or to share goals that you're doing. You know, it is your intention that makes you healthier. Once you make the intention solid, you take a step forward in health. I love that you say that because I'm going to go to one of my favorite little things I talk about with clients. I say, listen, we're going to set a goal. You know, if you want, it's up to you. You don't have to set a goal. We can set a goal that you don't want to set a goal. That was always a fun one. But okay, we're going to set a goal. And I am only asking you to do 30% of this goal. And they're like, what are you talking about? I need to be like tomorrow, I, whatever it is. Like, for instance, this is a typical one. Like, I'm going to start working out three times a week or I'm going to start um, not eating processed crackers. I'm going to eat rice and beans instead or something, whatever it is, right? People are making these goals. I'm going to meditate or I'm going to start journaling. They say, I'm going to start journaling every day. I said, no, no, no. Journal one day a week. Why? Because if you can do one day a week, then you're going to learn how to incorporate that in your life. And then you could get to two days a week and then you get to three days a week. And if you get to five days a week, that's so cool, but you're going to have a week or two where everything goes out the window and you're going to forget to journal altogether. But again, it's the intention like you said, it's my intention. Like I meant to journal. So at least I thought of it. Maybe I even self-reflected it on the way to bed and threw my journal next to the bed because I was too tired to write in it. Right. Or maybe I intended to work out three times. I worked out twice. Hey, at least I worked out twice versus zero. Right. It's that getting started. That's it's hard for people because we do beat ourselves up when we have these things in black and white, we have these plans we've written down or these intentions and we don't complete them. So I always tell people, I tell people uh, in my own life, I have goals every week to work out, to play music, to call friends, to be on time with, you know, everything I've got to do as a therapist. And, you know, I, I have to admit, you know, the, the things that take precedent are the state says you have to have your notes in with this amount of time. So I definitely am hundred percent on that goal every week. Cause I have something coming over my shoulder, but the personal goals that are more for my self-help, which sounds terrible, they come in 
later. And so I say every week I shoot for 50%. And now recently I've been shooting for 70%, right? I've been getting into that groove of like, I'm going to try to get 70% of my goals. If I do, I feel good about myself because at least I'm taking inventory of what I'm doing. And I'm not um, kind of doing that thing that you do when you're young. A lot of people do when they're younger, which is they make a goal and it's completely incongruent for how they actually live their life. And then that never happens. And then they just label themselves as, you know, so so I, I love like these. Implemental- yeah, go ahead. Adding to intention, you know, when patients come to my office, I'm like, you know what, your intention to want to get better is what sought me out. And now you're here. So the first step to treatment is awareness. Like, you know, you're not doing well. You show up in my office and that's great. The intention to heal is half the work. But here's the other part. We need to be consistent. We have to be consistent with the intentions. Otherwise, they fall on the with they just fall apart. We don't, we don't keep up with it. And so it's one thing to do it once a week, then keep that once a week, at least for four weeks. And before you bring in two or three, it's the consistency for us to build a muscle consistency for us to lose that weight consistency for us to be better relationships or better human beings, or to get projects done in a more efficient time. You know, um, I find, uh, during the pandemic, I have a couple of friend groups that are, were accountability buddies. And we just send each other a postcard or a note of five or four things that we're holding ourselves accountable for. And it's the consistency of doing it with these ladies that get me to a place of like really working at it. It's one thing, my intention is pure, but having four other people to do it with, it kind of gets you that raw, raw energy of you feel like you're supported and you have other people. And then, and we say, you know, win for today, if we got the, uh, the day's goals achieved. And we say, learn for the day. If there's something that went off path and we're like, learn for the day, you know, prepare my meals a little bit better. So that way I'm not so hungry that I pick up some, you know, store-bought processed food, but it's about us like being consistent with healthy habits, whether that's communicating with our parents, it's, you know, reaching out to friends, it's exercising, it's taking a bubble bath, it's cooking something at home and having meal prep every Sunday. The consistency is what gets us to a place of a lifestyle that's healthy. Mm, okay. I love that. I love the accountability of that. Like, cause it's one thing to do it on your own. It's another thing to do it with friends. And I do, I, I have adopted that with some of my friends, not as um, intricately as this postcard idea. I love that. Um, but just, oh, and we text each other on WhatsApp and it's awesome. And here's the key, like, we're individuals, you know, mm-hmm. I do believe like we're individuals. It's an individual journey amongst the collective, but we are social beings. And so we do need that social connectedness and it does help motivate us, give us drive, give us love, give us energy. And it's nice. Uh, my Angelou always says, take charge of the energy in your space. If you're with people who are also aligned with health and habits that you're doing, it's like a team effort. You're doing it for yourself individually, but as a collective, there's an energy about it. It's like meditating. Even you meditate alone every day, it feels great. But when you meditate in a classroom where everybody's meditating, there's just like euphoric, amazing energy because everybody's intention there is to go to this place of silence and go inwards and try to be better versions of themselves. Yes, that's so nice. And that and and I, I see that you cover this in your book. I don't know if you called it exactly that, but you were talking about, you know, reaching out. Um, the burden is light. I think you said. Uh, yeah, I think when lighter. you share happiness, you double it. You share sorrow, you half it. Mm-hmm. You know, you share the burden a little bit. Like that's what we're here for: is to 
be amongst each other. But the problem is we have to be careful. Many people today are just, when you're in pain, you spill over on tethers. I'm hearing a lot of people emotionally vomit, as I call mm. it, on people. Yes. And it's overwhelming. So I'm finding more and more people withdrawing from friends because they feel overwhelmed and burdened by conversations or they feel it's too negative or it's too critical. And I'm I'm communicating to a lot of my patients, well, take charge, communicate to them. Like, listen, I just noticed, you know, you're always saying you're tired. Let's use another word next time. And just realize as much as I like you as a friend, I don't want every time we talk about you complaining about your relationship or complaining about work or how tired you are. Let's talk about what's working. Let's see the good amongst the bad. Yes. We have to help each other. People don't, when you're in pain, you don't recognize you're spilling over on tethers. So somebody has to pause and reflect you to say, whoa, 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 listen to yourself right now. You sound really overwhelmed or you've been really negative the last four weeks. Every time I say, how are you? I get this you know, saga of how you're not doing well. Let's really talk about that. Like I'm your friend. I have your best interests in mind. Let's talk about how I can help. How can I be of help is the best thing we can ask our friends to get them on board, whether it's accountability or calling them or buddy systems. Let's, you know, since the pandemic's lifting slowly, let's get to a place of like helping each other be healthier since we all feel stuck in some unhealthy patterns or habits. I love that. Yes. And I like to bring that even to um, significant others and mm-hmm. children and parents. Yeah. A lot of times people come to us with a problem and we all have our knee-jerk reaction to fix it or comment on it or belittle it or whatever it might be. And one of the simplest questions I ever heard was, how can I support you right now? Yeah. How would you like me to support you? Yeah. Versus advice. Stop right. telling people what they already know. We all know mm-hmm. what we should be doing. It just feels hard. And it, we have sometimes anxiety or depression or other things that are holding us back. Let's just help hold each other in compassion. And the book, A Deeper Wellness, really was made by my years of experience with patients that struggle with stress, mood, anxiety, and traumas. And we all have different layers of it. And if you humble yourself to just recognize your symptoms, you'll realize we all got stuff. Let's just help each other be better versions of ourselves. And the first step to treatment is awareness. The book is about education and psychoeducation. So you understand symptoms as well as tools that I give people every day on how to better themselves, whether it's communication, setting boundaries, working through anger, you know, clearing up depression, anxiety symptoms, bringing in breathing, prioritizing yourself, not feeling guilty. You know, it's incredible the stuff that we all carry around as burdens and it just weighs us down. Time to take that, you know, baggage that we carry around and unpack that suitcase and lighten it up. And I love, I love that your book, what it does is it, it has a lot of very basic things here that we can all do. And then you can go deeper. And then obviously if you need therapy or medications, you can do that. But one of the things I was thinking about recently, well, I was thinking about your book and what we've been talking about was how it's so interesting how these basic concepts have been lost in in the frenetic kind of culture we're in right now. These basic skills, um, especially when you get 20-somethings or teenagers in the office, they have no idea how to self-regulate. And I mean on the most basic emotional level, to the social level, to the electronics and like uh, for instance, this is something interesting I didn't realize, but I ran into a, a bunch of 
early 20 somethings recently. And they were all like talking about how they were like, oh, I need to turn off my notifications on the following 20 apps and email. And I was like, wait a minute, you have those app, you have them, those notifications coming up on your phone, like your email at like nine o'clock at night, that's notifying you. Like, how is that a thing? I thought people only had text and phone because that's what my phone is set to. <laughs> They're like, no, no, no. So it's these basic things that we can do that all of a sudden, if we just do some of these basic things, which are not too difficult, your mental health can start improving to the point where you can start working on yourself to the point where you can start having time for yourself to the point where then you can work on what is the thing that's hurting you. Is it trauma? Is it anxiety? Is it lack of community? Is it isolation? Um, is it um, boundaries and relationships? What is it? Oftentimes when we're flooded and we're stressed and we're what I call in the polyvagal orange or red zone, uh-huh. um, and we're just so stressed, we don't even know what the problem is. No. You know, almost like a teenager where you're like, what's going on? They're like, life sucks. Well, what part of life sucks? Like, what exactly are you talking about, right? Like, you you just graduated high school. You have a new car. You have a job. You have a girlfriend, boyfriend. What 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 sucks? Oh, that's right. Your relationship with your parents. So, you know, like, what is it, right? We have to define that. And I think, I think that's a good thing about the book is it's short enough, and yet it just... It, you can see what chapters apply to you and what what may not. I think all chapters apply to all of us because you made it quite general. But and I did that people. on purpose because yeah. I wanted to hit everyone because we're in a time of need for healing. And the purpose of the book is, you know, whether you're a teenager to a senior citizen, you can pick up this book and you can apply it to you, men, women, children. It doesn't matter. You're just in a place of understanding. We all got symptoms. We got to work through it. And all your problems manifest in your life in three ways, physical or physiological symptoms, negative thoughts that race around in your head and negative behaviors you do that keep you stuck. Start taking charge, actionable steps so that we can move forward. But the one thing I think as a society, we all have to do is pause and reflect to make time for ourselves and put yourself in the equation of your own life. We live for a lot of other things than ourselves. It's a good point. And then, like you said, if we're not, you know, having ourselves in mind at the beginning, how are we supposed to care for other people correctly? You know, that leads to, you know, like you said, controlling other things in our lives, but it also leads to trying to control people, which is a terrible idea. If you've ever Mm -hmm. tried to do it, it doesn't work. Um, So, but as you work on yourself, you do have a ripple effect of other people around you getting to a place of betterment. Oh, for sure. Right. Because you've got that, that environment and feeling that they want to be around you instead of um, you trying to control them with words and rules. So, yeah, I really think you've got a lot to offer here. Um, I guess I was just curious. You also, I want to know a little bit more about what you're doing. So you got your private practice. Mm -hmm. You've got these corporate wellness programs. You've got this book and apparently an online thing with it, online companion yeah, I have created an online platform for people who can't afford to make time for therapy or show up for therapy or afford it, period. It's expensive and don't have benefits. And it's an online 18 life lessons uh, video series where I talk to you about a mini lesson in life and there's a handout and a worksheet attached. And so there's 18 life lessons and a lot of them correspond with the book. And so a lot of my patients wanted resources outside of sessions and you know, I, I demoed it on them and they love seeing me and hearing my voice, which triggers a lot of the lessons we do together. 
And then they would do the handouts and worksheets on panic disorder or stress or anger or guilt or setting boundaries and prioritizing yourself. And so the online platform is just another resource out there for people to just take 15 minutes at the end of your day and do something to embark on trying to make you a better version of you. And then the, for the people who want the book, the book is another resource as a handout, as a handbook and a workbook. And next week, the audio book comes out as well. And so it's very available in a Kindle version, in a hardcover or, or paperback, as well as now an audiobook. Wonderful. And will all of those links be on your website? Yes. My website, talking about that since the pandemic began, every week I have an article that comes out on Mondays. Wednesdays, there's bullet point information on Instagram and stuff on actionable steps you can take for health and tips. And Fridays are little mini meditations on different topics that we all struggle with. And so I have that on my website under podcast every week for the last two years, there is a different topic, boundaries, substance abuse, how to intervene with family members, how to love yourself, uh, working through guilt, setting boundaries, understanding generalized anxiety disorder, understanding depression, how to you know, embark on um, helping your children um, communicate better, working through social anxiety, et cetera. And so there's many, many topics. If you go on my website, www.drmonicavermani.com, you will see everything I offer, as well as a lot of free resources for places to go to for help, as well as uh, articles, tips, and a lot of social media I've done with media outlets that I've been speaking on. I love it. And I'm going to have your website uh, and links in the show notes along with your bio so that people can click right there and go and check out your offerings. Thank you um, very much. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been my pleasure to speak to you today. Um, do you have anything out there you want to kind of like leave listeners with? I'm just going to remind you, please do put yourself in the equation of your life, you know, bringing in joy. Each and every day, we should have at least have three to five things that bring us joy. It doesn't have to be big things. You know, it doesn't have to be your next vacation. It could be a bubble bath. It could be having a cupcake. It could be snuggling with your pet or your family member. It could be having a longer kiss. It could be sitting in the sun and just absorbing what that sun feels like on your back before we hit winter again. Let's just get to a place of listening to a song that we love, cooking with music or nourishing our body with healthy foods. Let's get to a place of pausing and reflecting and putting yourself as a priority in your lives. Don't give from your well, give from your overflow. It's important and it's time to as we want to see a bigger change in the world and it starts with you. Very good. I love it. And uh, thank you, Dr. Monica Vermani, for those wise words. And I'm excited for people to hear this episode. Thank you very much. Okay. And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with people you know. I would surely appreciate it or leave us a rating on iTunes. 
If you are looking for an EMDR International Association consultant, I am now an official consultant and can provide 20 hours needed to become EMDR International Association certified. I am hosting groups online and in person. For details, check out my websites, counselingsupervisorgr.com or healthforlifegr.com for more details. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids area at Health for Life Counseling Grand Rapids and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss, and while these are based upon literature he has read and his experience in the field, they should not be viewed as a definitive opinion on this subject or any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please call 911 right now or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Are you a young person of color feeling down, stressed out, or overwhelmed? Text the word STEVE, that's S-T-E-V-E, to 741741, and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond. Did you know that you could support your local bookstore by shopping at bookshop.org? That's right, bookshop.org. You can order online from the comfort of your own home while supporting local businesses near you. If you are a therapist and you are not a member of your local counseling organization, I implore you to get involved. The Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association, uh, the American Counseling Association, for examples, are promoting best practices and making sure that mental health services are available and accessible by the public. Until next time, I'm wishing you all a safe and peaceful week.